imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women? Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Welcome, everyone, to this week's Lead Hership Global Podcast episode. And I tell you, today is really special because we have the opportunity to welcome Kara Golden, the CEO of Hint. She is a powerhouse and just wrote one of Wall Street Journal's best-selling books, Undaunted. And I can't wait to introduce you to Kara. But more importantly, I think she's bringing a topic to today's conversation that's so important, and that is the secrets to becoming undaunted, overcoming doubts and doubters. And I know that we have all suffered from this feeling of doubting oneself, doubting our mission, doubting our purpose. And today, Kara is going to talk to us about how to overcome those uh, self-sabotaging doubts. In fact, Think about it. What would you do if you weren't afraid? What do you think you could actually accomplish if you could eliminate your fear of failure? Today, we're going to show you that bravery is just simply deciding to move forward despite your fear. That if you have the courage to pursue your purpose, no matter how big the obstacles may be, it can be done. Whether you're starting a business or hoping to make a change in your life, today's conversation with Karen Golden will help you deal with your fears and help you move forward despite uncertainty, turning criticism into motivation. You know, setbacks will come, but today, Kara will show you what you can learn from failure and frustration and keep advancing towards your true purpose. And what if not having the right credentials or the vast industry experience was the secret to actually making things happen? What if we didn't let our fear of failure actually stop us? That's what we're going to explore today with Kara Golden. That's right, Linda. Just a little bit more about Kara for our listeners. Kara is the founder and CEO of Hint Inc., best known for its award-winning Hint Water. It's amazing if you haven't tried it. I'm a huge fan. The leading unsweetened flavored water in the industry. Kara's turned her unsweetened flavored water into one of the most successful beverage businesses of our time and has been named one of InStyle's Badass 50, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs, and EY Entrepreneur of the Year for Northern California. The list just doesn't stop there. The Huffington Post listed her as one of the six disruptors in business alongside Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. Kara now hosts the podcast, The Kara Golden Show, and her first book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, was released in October of 2020. It's now a Wall Street Journal and Amazon bestseller. Kara, we are so thrilled to have you on the podcast with us today. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Well, let's just jump right in because our audience is going to be like really interested to hear from you. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what led you to have such a passion around first the product and second, overcoming fears and doubts in pursuing your purpose. 
Well, first of all, I, I launched this company after a career starting in journalism and then moving into tech. And I had my first job in, in New York working for, I wanted to work for Fortune magazine, uh, but I never got the job at Fortune. So I got a job with time in the building, uh, which ended up to be a, a terrific experience and part of my journey. I was then, uh, I was then recruited out by, uh, I guess it was a late stage startup at the time they were calling it. And it, it's called CNN and worked there in the early nineties when, uh, when it was, it was, you know, not very big. I mean, they were still trying to get cable news into lots of different households. Right. And, it just wasn't exactly what what it is today and i met my husband in new york and he had this idea that he wanted to do technology law and we got engaged and we moved to san francisco because all of the law firms were sharing with him that basically technology law was really going to happen in silicon valley first before anywhere else so I uh, moved with him to the Bay Area. I had been following this guy, Steve Jobs, and I mention it now, but you have to understand, in 1994, he was just kind of another person, right? He was just not sort of the legend that he, um, you know, is in people's minds today. But I had followed him and really was appreciating the the concept that he had taken really ugly, really complicated computers that I had seen when I was in college and towards the end of college had turned them into these smaller machines that were designed really beautifully and anyone could use them. And they had this cute little apple on it. And I had heard that he was living in Silicon Valley somewhere. I, of course, knew that Silicon Valley was pretty big, but I thought that's somebody that I would love to work with. I, I just want to meet him and just like work with him. So while I was researching how to actually meet this person and try and understand exactly, you know, what I could possibly do there, that's when I stumbled upon the startup that was a spin out of something that he was he had come up with, but that he was working with this group at Apple. And so these five guys had left Apple, started this company. And I thought, well, maybe Steve will be there. At some point, I don't know what I was thinking, just to entertain myself. I just had some, I had nothing else to do. I knew no, nobody in San Francisco. So I picked up the phone and called this company and I call it a company. It was really five guys. It wasn't in a garage, like a typical Silicon Valley. It was a small office in San Mateo, California, south of the city. And so I went there. I, I said, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm new to the area. Here's this woman. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm not a technology person. And uh, it's a CD-ROM disc that has a bunch of catalogers on it. And all I said to myself was, I know a lot about shopping. I know how to shop. I know how to spend money. And I can go. And I can meet with them. And I can go to coffee. And, you know, it's all good. And I probably don't. They don't even have a job for me. Because why would they hire me? I don't. I'm not an Apple person or a tech person. So after an hour in this, this coffee meeting, I remember one of the guys saying to me, he said, uh, he's explaining the whole product and he says, so 
uh, do you have any questions? And I said, how do you make money? Because I had been hearing about like at, at Time and at CNN, they were very interested in making money. And I said, how do you make money? And he said, well, we haven't figured that out yet. And I said, well, okay, like, that's great. I mean, you can have a company and it doesn't make money and you're, you're not really that worried about it. I mean, that's amazing. And he said, eventually, we're going to have to figure that out. And I said, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? I was just talking. I had no idea what I was talking about. And he said, uh, and he said, that's really interesting. Maybe you should come work for us. And I said, well, what would I do? And he said, you would go out to like the Gap and J. Crew and all these catalogers and talk to them about putting their catalog on the disc. And I said, well, some of them, the Gap doesn't have a catalog. So what would I do? And he said, well, you would convince them to do it. And I said, huh, okay, you're going to pay me to do that? Really? Like, that's so cool. And I get to meet these executives from these companies that are sort of iconic. So I mentioned this and spend a little more time there because that was kind of my first taste of realizing that anyone can add value to a conversation. It's about throwing ideas into a pot. Maybe some are bad. Maybe some are good. I take this role being head of business development for this teeny tiny company uh, to market. And then six months later, America Online acquires us. And I'm tasked with running seriously this button on the screen. I don't... I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of other people got the offer before me to run this division because no one thought e-commerce and shopping was going to be happening in 1995. No one. I mean, it was the leftover. Okay, just give it to Kara. She's, you know, let's see what she does. And so that's when I just kept working and building and started thinking. And I mean, I have so many stories from that, including building bookshelves with Jeff Bezos at Amazon when he was just like this bookseller being scrappy. He's like, if, you know, that's a story in and of itself. But anyway, so at the end of 2001, I had had two kids. I, I was pregnant with a third and it was a billion dollars in revenue to AOL. And I was on the plane all the time. I had two kids under the age of three at home in San Francisco, never saw them, never saw my husband. And I thought the United Airlines pilot knows my name. I need to go back to San Francisco. There's plenty of companies in San Francisco. I'm going to go back there and find a job, but I'm going to take a couple of years off first and see what will happen. And see if I can incubate exactly who I want to work for. I interviewed with a bunch of different companies in tech. And then nothing kind of sat with me. And I remember one day thinking to myself, I'm a tech executive, but how did I get here? And I, and I never really thought I was going to be a tech executive. I went to that first interview because I loved Steve Jobs and design. But that's not... That wasn't tech to me. That was just about simplicity. That was about customer. I don't know. It was like, it was a lot, but it wasn't really tech. So I kept really thinking about what I wanted to do. So while I was thinking about what I wanted to do, that's when I thought I've, I'm not as healthy as I want to be. I've gained a ton of weight. I've, uh, 
I, my energy levels were significantly lower than they had ever been. I didn't really have an excuse because I wasn't flying on airplanes and getting up early in the morning and catching crazy flights and being on all different time zones. So, and, and my skin had developed terrible adult acne. That was the other piece of it that I was really not very comfortable with. So I started dieting and really paying attention to what I was putting in my body. And that, and I had never dieted. I had never kind of paid attention to, I'd eaten fairly healthy, but I'd never really paid attention as closely as I was. I was counting calories. I knew ingredients. I thought I'm going to really just put things into my body that I know what they are at first glance. And nothing was working. I had all of this baby weight that I just couldn't lose that I just, you know, wanted to get off and nothing. I just essentially given up. Then one day, this Diet Coke can was staring me in the face. I, the, the ingredients were just looking perfectly at me. And I thought, gosh, you know, there's a lot of ingredients in my Diet Coke that I'm drinking that, I mean, if it was food, then I would just not have it. But why don't I see what will happen if I just stop drinking it? And I, I kept thinking to myself, well, there's nothing really wrong with it because it's diet. And I thought, no, I'm going to just test it and see what will happen. And so two and a half weeks later, that's when I, I, was, I swapped it out for plain water and I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water about a weekend because I thought that will help me to drink water. Two and a half weeks after sort of doing this test, that's when I realized that I had lost 24 pounds, my skin had cleared, and my energy levels were like back. And I thought, this is crazy. On a lot of levels, I know, two and a half weeks. It was crazy. And that's when I really started to think about this industry. And again, I was a consumer that was just drinking a product for years. But then I started really thinking not just about the soda industry and how big it was, but also this whole idea that I think the word diet for me at that moment it had always meant that it was healthier than products that didn't say diet on them. Yet I, I was thinking about things like my first vocabulary test. I'm sure when I was in grade school, diet didn't have the same meaning for me, right? It wasn't a positive thing. It was like, it was something that you didn't really want to do, but you had to do. Right. And, and so somewhere along the way, and I still don't know the answer to this, it became this like benefit, which I thought, wow, that's just, it's kind of messed up. Right. And, and what's, what's fascinating is that I even took it a step further to see that there were more women that were affected by these words and that bought into the, these words. And it just, it made me angry because I thought for, if it was this simple, we wouldn't have the, the amount of money that's poured into not just the diet soda industry, but also all these diets, all of these, you know, things that people are, are 
really buying into that are healthy perception versus healthy reality. And so about a year into living this way, and certainly when you lose that much weight, people will ask you, what did you do? Right. And, and so I would kind of have these conversations, this dialogue with people. And that's when I thought, gosh, I wonder if I could actually create a product that just has water and fruit in it without any of the sweeteners in it. And I kept thinking, it's got to be out there already. And I just can't find it. I was like blaming myself for not being able to find this product. And I looked on both coasts and trying to find it anywhere and couldn't find it. And finally, I thought, okay, well, I don't know what I'm going to do for a job. I'm really engaged and excited about this. I was waking up every single morning and thinking, you know, about some of the stuff that I'm talking to you about now, but just overall, how would I make it? What would I call it? All of these things. And that's when I went to my local Whole Foods and I said, how do I get a product on the shelf? And the guy was like, what do you mean? And I said, I don't know. I, I mean, how do, do you buy the product from me? How does that work? Do I have to have a certain shelf life? All of these questions that just as a consumer, I thought of, and he would give me the answers. I'd write them down in my little notebook and then I'd go home. And, and then I just, it was like, I had a job at this point. I was excited, right. That I was learning. You have to you know, remember that I had also been in a position at AOL, and I think so many people go through this, particularly if you go through a company that has gone through high growth, like I did, where it was a hockey stick. The company or AOL, when I was there, I had seen the hockey stick, but it was kind of leveling out. It wasn't, you know, in a free fall by any stretch, but it was, it was sort of the growth wasn't as significant as it had been. And so with that, I kept thinking and saying, I'm a little bored. I don't really, I'm not really learning. I'm managing 200 people. I wasn't that psyched about what I was doing every day. And I didn't realize until later what really excited me about launching my own company in an industry that I had no experience, that I had plenty of doubts. And there were the minute I opened my mouth to say that I doubted that I'd be able to do this, you, I found family, friends, industry experts who all agreed with me that I would fail. Right. And I, and what I realized was just the, the endorphin of being able to, you know, learn and do something that not only I wasn't supposed to be able to do, but also the, the the concept of being a lifelong learner and something that I talk about a lot now is so critical to actually living right and being happy people I think you I will go as far as to say as you move up the ladder in corporations we don't offer that to people we don't ever say are you still learning Right. We, it, and, and it gets worse and worse. And the number of C-suite executives that I talk to today that feel a little lost, they don't really know how to get that challenge. Maybe they go join a board and they think that that's going to solve the problem there, but they're joining a board in an industry that they're going to, they know it already. Right. And they're going to be teaching exactly what they know, but. That was the excitement that I really 
in a long-winded way. That was the excitement that I saw in in really launching my own company and and kind of the acceptance of knowing I wasn't going to fake that I had worked at Coca-Cola or Pepsi or whatever. Instead, what I realize now is that sometimes if you actually don't have that experience, it's it, it it actually gets you a lot further because you can think about the problem in a way that a large company just they're not watching because they're doing they're they're answering to Wall Street. They're looking at what they have to do in order to survive and grow a few percentage points, hopefully every year. But they don't actually look outside of the box and do the hard stuff, which is what somebody with no experience and maybe somebody who has doubts too will jump in and do. So I want to I want to dive into that a little bit more, Kara. And you've also called yourself an accidental entrepreneur. So talk to us a little bit about that, like what it means to be an accidental entrepreneur, and then how do you think that impacted your path? Well, I think so many people assume that entrepreneurs were made this way, right? That they, that, you know, I, people ask me still to this day, did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? And I was quite happy working for companies. I was, you know, I didn't hate my boss or, you know, I didn't think that I was better in, in some way. I just, I really enjoyed contributing. And, but when I, and obviously it, I worked for people who I did, I never worked for Steve Jobs, but I, I worked for people who had worked for great entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, even Ted Turner, I mean, just, just the, a very, very different environment, a different stage of the company as well than maybe the, little scrappy startup in Silicon Valley that had five guys and, you know, old pizza boxes around the office. Like I, I just, I was able to see through my experiences prior to him that again, ideas can come from anywhere and that there's different stages of companies and more than anything that it is, it's really about finding a hole in the market, having an idea but further your ability to actually execute. So it's something that I always share with entrepreneurs and people on my team as well, that ideas are a dime a dozen. It's your ability to actually, you know, break it down and go and get traction on something. And then I'll even take it further to figure out how the consumer thinks about this, right? And how do you, and, and so, in the case of Hint, just as an example, what I was able to bring in that I saw in, you know, CNN as well as, as well as to market and to some extent even AOL is figuring out things like quality is, is one of the most important things. Like never, ever, ever, um, just stop because, because you're, um, because you, believe that quality is not important, right? I, I think that that is such an important piece that so many people think like, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. People aren't paying attention, but quality is something if you lead with that as, as, as a core thing, whether you're talking about customer service or whether you're talking about the, the core 
product or, or what have you. So again, I had seen a lot of different lights of, of different entrepreneurs and different ways how they did it. But I, I really thought that I, I think by seeing that it wasn't a, I didn't, it, it, it was like demystified to some extent as to if they can do it, I can do it too. But that's when I had this idea. I didn't even think it was a company. And I think that's what, you know, I've shared over the years, how I feel about this, this whole concept of being an entrepreneur that, that, I mean, I just viewed it as launch a product on the shelf at Whole Foods and see what happens. And it'd be, I'd be a really interesting dinner guest. You know, if somebody said to me, oh, what's, what'd you do last week? I will. I launched a product at Whole Foods and they wouldn't believe me. And I don't know. I just thought it would just, I just thought it'd be kind of fun to do it and it would be an experience, but I never really thought about it. Oh, we're, you're going to build a billion dollar company. You're going to go and do this stuff. And, but again, I think because I'd seen other people do it and I'm not saying that that's the way that everybody does it, but I think that there's a million ways to do it. And so that that's really the the key thing that and I think so many people think I've never run a company so therefore I can't go launch a company or you know I I've never raised money so I can't go actually raise money and I see so often that people put so many barricades up in front of them and reasons why they can't move forward or reasons why they you know, believe that they'll fail before they even start. And that's the probably the number one thing that I really wanted to get out in my book and in my stories is that it's it starts with you and you believing, first of all, that you've got a product and that you've got the ability to execute. But and but I think it's more than anything. It's just knowing that they're no different than you are. And I even We'll take that further to say that CEOs are no different than you are either. I think that most people that I know that have built companies too as entrepreneurs and particularly ones that are still running companies are, they have an ability to execute. They have an ability to really understand the customer and they have an ability to really look back on challenges and failures and understand to stop for a minute and pick up the lessons and know that those things are going to happen. And that's how you move forward ultimately. And, and, you know, 2020, the pandemic is just, is a perfect example where how many people have just froze and they couldn't do anything and they're depressed and they're trying to figure it out. Then there's a whole other set of people. I was just, on an interview with somebody who has an events business and she was sharing how she figured out really quickly in the next 90 days after understanding that everything was shut down and her events wouldn't happen. She just figured out how to do it. And now she can't imagine going back to doing live events because she figured out quickly. And that's, that's the problem. It's the people that, that stop because they don't know what to do. And there will always be these people that just say, eh, I'm just going to go try. She didn't know whether or not she was going to fa fail or succeed. She was hoping, of course, that she was going to succeed. But, 
But anyway, I think that that is, is the real message to people around being an entrepreneur. It's not just about you knew you were going to do this and it's just in your blood and you become a unicorn overnight or, you know, typically it's, it's a story of, of really you saw this problem and you had an idea of how to fix it. You talked about Kara um, a few minutes ago, just this idea of overcoming fears. You know, what do you think are some of the most common fears that women have when they consider stepping out on their own and creating their own business or finding their purpose or pursuing their passion? And then other than, you know, what you just said a second ago, how, how, what advice can you give them for overcoming those fears or how can they take a step forward to overcome? I think the more, the more uncomfortable positions you put yourself in and yeah. And you almost challenge yourself to go and try and figure things out. You'll be surprised at what you can ultimately do. And, uh, you know, I, I was sharing this story with somebody the other day. I remember before, um, what, before any of the, you know, map quest or any of the different, I remember sitting there trying as a kid. I would fight with my brothers and sisters over the the paper maps that we would have to try and figure out who could like figure out the best way to get there in the shortest amount of time. And and it's the same kind of thing. Maybe it's not a timing thing, but it's the same kind of thing being okay with not really knowing whether or not it's going to work and putting yourself in, into those kind of situations I think is so key not only to knowing that you can do a lot more, but also getting rid of the fear. And I, one of the things that I talk about in the book is, you know, this, I don't want to live with fear. And I, and I made that really conscious decision a few years ago. And so I put things in front of myself that I know I'm afraid of in order to try and tackle those things. One of the stories I, I mentioned in the book is the Grand Canyon and how I've been afraid of heights for years. And, you know, I did everything possible to, uh, to train myself and, and really strategize to how I could hike the whole canyon and not be afraid of the heights. And then I ran into other issues along the way. And I think that there are so many stories in there, but you can do all the planning in the world. You can tackle these things, but you're going to run into things. You're going to run into a pandemic along the way. I'm not saying that just by tackling your fears, it's all going to go away. But when the next challenge comes along, you are now much more confident in yourself. You know that you were afraid at one point of this experience and you actually got through it. I have so many of those experiences that I can, I don't even try. I just sit there and look in my head on all the, I mean, whenever I think about something that's really daunting and really challenging, I just think, okay, I've done, I've done lots of different things. I'm not afraid of very much. And, and the reason is, is that I really purposely put myself into those, those positions. And, and I think it's particularly your question around, people who are listening and, and really trying to kind of, what, what are they afraid of? I think they're afraid of, of 
challenging himself and, and looking bad. Right. And I, I mean, I don't know. I think that makes me that much more interesting to people when I share with them about the stuff that hasn't gone the right way. And I think that's where you learn, right. And, and you learn to be stronger. I mean, even in, in the case of the pandemic, uh, so many people said to me in early March, I mean, I had never dealt with anything like this, exactly like this, but I was pretty Zen about the whole thing, primarily because I knew that there were a lot of unknowns. 15% of our overall business was to offices. And we started hearing that Google was closing down, Facebook was closing down, all of these offices were closing down. And so we knew that the business that we were doing in those uh, offices, micro kitchens was all going away. And, but again, there was, we were okay with a little bit of, we don't know what's going to happen. And instead I said, I got to figure out how to go make up that business. And people are like, calm down. It's a pandemic. I'm like, no, I'm going to, I know for sure. I've got three uh, distribution, um, sales channels. And I've got to go see if I can figure out how to funnel some of those and really turn on the gas on some of those other, you know, channels. And we were more than successful at doing that. So we were able to make up for it. But again, I think that the ability to sort of act and just sit there and try and look at kind of other situations where things had been challenging. When you are faced with the next challenge, you look at how did I do it last time? What were some of the fears? What were some of the challenges? Was it going to be perfect? No, I can share challenges that happened in 2020 that I never predicted, but it was, we made progress and, you know, we, we definitely felt, uh, you know, pretty now I can look back on those times and think, I don't know what's going to happen, but, but I figured it out and it, and it worked. So I think really placing your head into the idea that you may not actually, uh, it might not turn out perfectly, but you go try, you recognize, um, what you've done wrong because you will do stuff that's wrong and, and you own those pieces that you did wrong and then you move on. And I think that that just makes you not only a great human, a great manager, a great leader, but also somebody that teaches people to, to that. live that way. Kara, that's so right on. I think that's so wise. And I want to say thank you for all oh. the incredible wisdom and insight that you've provided. And so I feel a little greedy right now asking one last question of yeah. you. But um, really quickly, as you think back on the amazing teachers and coaches and mentors that you've had in your career, what is the one piece of leadership advice that you've received that's really made an impact? What's the best leadership advice that you've received that you'd like to pass on to our listeners today? I think the most important one that I've learned is to stay creative, right? And don't just live every day doing the same. 
And, and I take that into my personal life as well. For example, I, I do go to one place every single year in Maine that I really, really love. But in general, when I have been traveling, I'll never travel to the same place because I always, and I want it to be a little bit of uncertainty when I go there. And I don't really know what's going to happen until I actually land there and start to figure it all out. Because again, I think that the more creative that you can be, whether it's, you know, a trip or it's actually in business, that is where you're going to, you're going to continue learning. You're going to, uh, surprise yourself. You're going to have your eyes and ears wide open to really recognizing what you're, what you're capable of and what you enjoy. And that is the biggest thing that I can share with people. That is amazing. Kira, again, we are so grateful having you on the Lead Hership Global podcast, connecting with our thousands of listeners and offering such incredible expertise. And I would just recommend to everyone that's listening to this podcast today that um, if you haven't yet, be sure to pick up your copy of The Secrets to Becoming Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. It's one of the most powerful reads, I think, right now available. And it is, shows not just um, incredible lessons for entrepreneurs and executives alike, but specifically for women. I think there are so many imp important and powerful lessons in there for women leaders. And so if you haven't picked up your coffee, please be sure to um, consider that your own gift to yourself. Um, and again, Kara, thank you so much Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.